All right, we're in Romans as we continue on through this wonderful book. And this is actually Romans 8 I love and Romans 10. Uh, They're some of my favorite chapters in the book of Romans. So let me go ahead and get open to it, and then we will uh, get into the Word. Oh, by the way, I forgot to give you guys the the text. We're going to actually back up into Romans 9 uh, and then come into Romans 10. So, all right, let me get open to Romans here. Keep missing Romans. You ever have that problem where you're on stage in front of everybody and you can't find the the book in the Bible? I made it. And then you have a heckler in the front row. <laughs> so all right. Let's go let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness toward us. And Lord, this beautiful book that uh just causes us to think about all that you've done for us, Lord. It causes us to rejoice in, in being secure in you, Lord, that you have done this and you will complete this. Lord, this book is just a blessing. And we thank you that, Lord, Paul was able to write this right before his arrest. And we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful unfolding of not only your gospel message of salvation, but also, Lord, your work of, work of sanctification, your encouragement for the church body. And, and as we, we go toward that day when you'll either receive us to yourself, be it uh, when we move from this life to the next, or when you come for us in the air. And uh, so we look forward to you, Lord, and now we ask that you might open up your word to us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we have been going through Romans 9. And Romans 9, as I told you, is one of the most controversial chapters, I believe, in the book of Romans. And partly because there's some verses in there which we've explained. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. And uh, passages about the sovereignty of God which tend to get people a little riled up. And uh, uh, fearful, really, I think, more than anything, in their misunderstanding of those passages, it almost creates some fear that uh, God might, might someday just be pernicious in some way. And, and you can just cast all those things out of the way. Uh, you can go back and watch uh, the two sermons as we went through Romans chapter 9 to, to catch up with this, because we really have answered those. Now, I want to remind you that Romans 9... Romans 10 and Romans 11 are a unit. And, and Paul is answering a particular question. That question is, what about Israel? And a part of that is Paul's bringing up a, a he's anticipating the question as the hearer comes off of Romans chapter 8, where we read these incredible things about the goodness of God, that we are more than conquerors in Christ, that Christ has done the work for us, that we are secure in him, that nothing in all creation could separate us from the love of God. Then he anticipates the question, well, wait a minute, hold on, Paul. How is it possible then if Israel received all these promises, the covenants, uh, all these wonderful prophets, that they themselves find, find themselves excluded from this righteousness? And so Paul is answering that question. And where we are going in, verse, in chapter 11 is that all Israel will be saved. We're going to get to that. Obviously, those who trust in Jesus Christ, as we've already talked about in chapter 9, that, that true Israel, true uh, children of Abraham are children of faith. But uh, as we went through uh, chapter 9, we're coming into chapter 10, and I want to actually back up to verse 30 of chapter 9, because we kind of circle back to his original uh, argument. And we'll start there as we, we get into chapter 10, because I think it'll give the context. So it says, what shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, For they stumbled at the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, 
my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, I'm going to stop there. We kind of took a big chunk, and we're going to unfold this. I wanted to make sure we got in that passage in chapter uh, chapter 9, verse 30 through the end, as it speaks about Christ being the stumbling block, that stone that God has laid in Zion, because we're going to come back to that. But notice that, that Paul opens up this passage with brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Now, I want to set this a little bit in context because this letter was probably written right before Paul left from Corinth and headed over to Israel, to Jerusalem. And if you remember in the book of Acts, as Paul is uh, on his way to Jerusalem, he's met and he's told that he's going to be bound up. And this is what's going to happen. But yet he still goes to the temple. Now, Paul had already met uh, with the Jews. Uh, he had he'd had some really negative encounters with his own people, the Jews. Uh, they, they hated Paul. Uh, Paul was considered an enemy. There were all sorts of rumors being spread about Paul. And, of course, when he finally got to Jerusalem, uh, the church in Jerusalem says, Hey, Paul, listen. Uh, there's all these rumors going on about you that you're saying that uh, Judaism should be put to an end. Nobody should be doing, uh, keeping the law or at all, uh, going to the temple, uh, doing these things. And uh, so why don't you take these young men who are about to end their, enter, end their vow, pay their temple fees, go up there and just show everybody that you're still a Jew, okay? And uh, Paul by no means was was advocating for the law. Certainly he would never go back to the law after being uh, uh, set free from the law through righteousness. But he was a Jew. And these were the things that he did and lived by. And so Paul uh, goes and does that. And of course, the temple riot breaks out. He's arrested. And from there, uh, he's going to be in prison for, uh, for quite a bit of time. But that's kind of the setting of the book of Romans. And why did he go to the temple? What did he preach at the temple? Well, he preached Jesus Christ. He preached that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He, he desired more than anything that his own people would receive uh, Jesus through faith. Uh, that was Paul's heart. I love Paul's example here because uh, I, I know Paul speaks harsh words sometimes to those who would try to uh, steer uh, young believers away or, or uh, believers who are, are not quite as mature in Christ away from the gospel. Certainly in Galatians, uh, he kind of mentions that those Judaizers, I, I wish they'd go the whole way and cut the whole thing off when they're talking about circumcision. Um, but, but it doesn't seem really that Paul so much has enemies, he has people that he wants to pray for, that he desires for salvation. Uh, and I, I think that they're, they're, really when we read about Paul, we should see Paul as probably one of the sweetest men in the whole Bible. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I can say that other than Jesus, but, but Jesus is obviously truly man and truly God. But, but uh, Paul's a sweet man. He, he's a, uh, an incredibly loving man. And uh, when you look through all of his ministry, you just see this, this heart and this desire that people, uh, uh, that he might pray for uh, his own people, that they might be saved. Boy, I wish we sure had that same, same motivation for the lost. Uh, if only we were so concerned for the lost, wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, I, I had lunch with a good friend on, on Wednesday uh, we, we went down to the circle and we were eating lunch and he, he's a friend who has been, uh, he went to an STS workshop, simply a story, and we were there eating lunch and I just said, hey, so how's it going? How's your ministry going? He's like, well, I've been pra practicing my stories and practicing how to teach stories. And I said, oh, that's great. And he said, but there's one thing though that I want to really do. 
I want to uh, get over kind of that anxiety and be able to tell stories to the public. I want to be able to just go to strangers and tell a Bible story and, and get over that. So we eat our lunch, and then uh, afterwards I said, hey, I have an idea. Before we go back to the church, why don't we go out into the circle and tell Bible stories? And, and he said, I knew you were going to do that. I knew, if, I knew if I told you, you'd say, let's go do that. And so we went, and we went and told some stories to people, had an incredible uh, a couple really just incredible conversations. He told uh, the story of, which I'm going to tell tonight, uh, briefly uh, refer back to, of the Pharisee and the tax collector going to pray at the temple. I got to tell the story of Jesus calming the storm to someone. And it was just a beautiful time of sharing the gospel. And uh, one of the things is we're walking by, back. We're just like, man, this was the best way we could have possibly spent the afternoon. Sharing scripture. So why is it that we have so much anxiety about sharing stories and sharing the gospel with strangers? I mean, we can talk to them about the weather. We can talk to them about even politics, which, I mean, hello, how divisive is that? But, oh boy, I'm not sure if I want to go into Jesus, right? And, uh, man, I, I just wish that we all could have that heart of Paul, that we would be praying for the lost, looking to proclaim Jesus. And we're going to get, come back to that. We'll look at verse 2. So it says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Listen, anytime someone tries to tell you that all faiths end up the same place, this verse applies. They have a zeal, they have a passion, a, 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 they, they put effort into knowing God and pleasing God, but they do it without knowledge. The, you know, you can walk all around India and Nepal, which I've done, and you see people that are zealous for their religion. I mean, the effort that they go to. Sometimes I think about it and I say, boy, uh, you know, look at how dedicated these people are to worshiping their gods, but yet there's no, there's no knowledge with that. They don't have the word of God. They don't understand that, that worshiping those gods will not bring about what they hope. It won't bring about salvation. Mormon missionaries, you know, they, I have a lot of respect for them when they come to the door because these, these young men have given up two years of their life to, to come to an area and they've given up so much. They've saved their funds and they're on this mission, but they have a zeal for God, but without knowledge. And that's what Paul is saying here about the Jews. They have the zeal, but not according to knowledge. And, and the problem is, verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have, submitted, uh, have, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And that's the problem right there. Paul is explaining that as they seek their own righteousness, not the righteousness of God, they, because of this zeal, and this lack of knowledge, they don't realize that they can never be righteous by their works. It will never happen. It doesn't matter how zealous you are because you will never be good enough. You just can't do it. And so he says as they seek to establish their own righteousness, they haven't submitted to the righteousness of God. And this goes back to that story of the Pharisee and tax collector I think it's in Luke 18. If you remember, it says that Jesus told that parable because of some who, who, who looked at themselves as righteous and looked down upon others with contempt. And the story goes on that, that, that two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood off by himself and prayed to God, God, Thank you that I'm not like other men. I, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I have to the poor. 
and I'm not like that tax collector. Of course, he went on about some other things about himself, and uh, that he didn't steal, that he, he didn't uh, take from people. He, he went on and on about himself, and he said, and thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. And, the, and Jesus said, meanwhile, that tax collector stood far off, and he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, and he beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And of course, when we consider these two prayers, we have to ask ourselves, well, what did the Pharisee actually ask God for? He didn't ask God for anything. All he did was talk about himself. See, that's a righteousness of his own. So when you come to God with your own righteousness, what will you leave with? Just your own righteousness. That's it. And guess what? It's not good enough. But Jesus said that I tell you the truth. It is the tax collector who went down to his house justified and not the Pharisee. Remember, he told the parable because there were those who looked at themselves as righteous and looked down upon others with contempt. Jesus told the parable so that, so that those he was speaking to might not seek their own righteousness, but seek him by faith. And that's what Paul is saying here, that they seek to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted to the righteousness of God. How prideful and arrogant is that, that we refuse to submit to the righteousness of God? I mean, how's that going to go when you stand before God and you're being judged? And the Lord, <laughs> what are you coming with? Me. I'm coming with me. I've got all my good deeds. It's not enough, buddy. What did you do with my son? I don't want your son. Okay, that's going to go real well as you stand before the judgment seat. Look at what it says in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, this is a verse that you should be rejoicing about. Uh, because again, this theme comes up that Christ nullifies the law as a way of gaining righteousness. Now, it's not saying that Christ nullifies the law. We recognize that the law is a standard of God. It's who God is. It's it's. It, it helps us understand what pleases God, who, uh, his character and, and expectations of those things. But what Paul is saying here is that Christ dying for you on the cross has put an end to you having to keep the law to get righteousness. Well, the reason why I say this should be an incredible moment of rejoicing for each and every one of us as we hear these words we can't help but think, you know, I'm not sure what, what you're coming to church with today. You know, we all have tendencies and sins. Maybe some of you are rebellious. And you, you, I know most of you are adults, but, it, but you can, we can still be rebellious as adults. Maybe some of you are foul-mouthed. And, and rather than submitting your tongues to the Lord Jesus Christ, as, uh, you're cursing others. And, of course, James says that how is it possible, my dear brothers, that salt water and fresh water flow from the same stream? No way it's not possible. And, and you come, you're coming into church and you know that your tongue ha has been salty. It, it's been screaming out profanities and yet you're saying, oh, I'm a child of God. You know, well, maybe you're coming to church tonight and, and you've got a, a, an, a, an aspect of your life that you are submitting to pornography. And, and you've, you've been getting on the computer and you've been looking at pornography and submitting yourself to that. Or maybe you're coming to church tonight and you know that you're a gossip and a slanderer. And you just can't wait to talk about somebody else. In fact, you're one of those people that has nothing good to say about somebody. You don't even know how to start a conversation. So the way you do it is you, oh, did you hear what happened? And there you are, gossiping. Listen, here's the beautiful thing about this. This is why you should be rejoicing. God has put an end through Christ Jesus to the law of righteousness. Jesus has paid the price for you. 
No, certainly it doesn't say continue on in your sin. No, no, no. The scriptures don't say that. In fact, uh, he who, whom the Son has set free should be free indeed. Uh, certainly the, the Spirit calls us out of the sin. And we know that if we, if we don't yield to the Spirit, but we yield to the flesh, we really grieve the Spirit of God in our lives. But, but this should be a rejoicing moment that you're not barely making it in by the skin of your teeth. No, Jesus Christ has paid the price for you. He, he's ready. He, he blesses you. It's not because you've been good enough during the week or, or you sinned less during the week. No, he's already done the work for you. And that's where we should be rejoicing as we understand this gospel message that Christ has done it all. And I truly believe, you know, you can back up to Romans 6 and Romans 7. When we start to understand that Christ has done it all, he captures our hearts and our devotion. And we start to say, you know what? I no longer want to steal anymore. I no longer want to slander anymore. I no longer want to engage in in, uh, deeds of darkness anymore. I want to be a child of the light. And so verse 5 says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now I'm going to stop there for a moment. Paul begins to reference uh, back to the law. And he references actually a passage here in Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy 30, when you kind of read where Paul is referencing it, he takes it and he kind of changes the the application of it. Uh, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. And and you might think that, wait a minute, Moses is actually, when he he talks about, um, do not say in your heart who will sin uh, or do not say uh, who will descend, uh, which he, he flips around a little bit, and we'll get into that in just a moment. You might think, well, wait a minute, that part of the law is, seems to be speaking about keeping the law. And actually, if you look at chapter 30 in context, which we don't have time to do, Moses is actually encouraging Israel to have faith in God. And then he goes on to that. By the way, that's the chapter 2 where Moses says, today I've turned 120 years old and I'm getting old. <laughs> and it's like... Yeah, 120 is old. <laughs> I've been leading you guys 40 years, and I'm not going in. Uh, and so he's encouraging them. But, but here it says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. Now, what is that saying? Well, if you're going to live by the law, you have to keep the law. And good luck. Yeah, actually, it's not even going to help you. You can't do it. We've already been through this earlier in Romans. In Romans chapter 2, we, we, we covered this. You just can't. It's impossible for you, born of uh, the flesh, to keep the law. No, we've got to be born of the Spirit of God. And so he says, but then he goes on to verse 6, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not stay, say in your heart, who will ascend in heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. It's actually a quite beautiful passage here. As, as Paul speaks about this, and uh, sorry, I got to pull back up my note here. I um, got off track here. Um, as as Paul speaks about this passage, where he starts to ask ourselves, "Well, who will ascend into heaven?" Uh, let me ask, who of you can ascend into heaven to take care of your sin? Anybody? No, no. Not going to happen. No, Jesus became incarnate for us. This is a Christmas verse, actually, right here. (laughs) This is a verse about Christmas, that Jesus became a man. He descended from heaven so that you and I might understand this righteousness from God. So, so uh, yeah, who can reach up to heaven? We can't. It's not possible. We can't ascend into heaven. But then he says, and then he takes this passage here where he says, um, or who will descend into the abyss? Now, in Deuteronomy, it talks about who will cross the sea 
And, and, but Paul takes it and creates this great contrast between heaven and the abyss. And he says, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Who's got the power of the resurrection? Anyone in here? Anybody raise people from the dead? Raise yourself from the dead? Anybody conquer death? Uh, yeah, not po- you, Yeah, good. No way. <laughs> not, you, not this bunch. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but that's good that we recognize that. So, uh, no, we can't do it. But God did it. See, God orchestrated salvation of his, uh, by himself from beginning to end. Now, if we go back into Romans chapter 9, in Romans chapter 9, we dealt with the sovereignty of God. And, and we talked a lot about the sovereignty of God, that, that God elected. And we talked about that. But, but one of the problems with Romans 9 is Romans 9 uh, starts to have us go, wait a minute, it, do I, am I responsible uh, at all in salvation? Or is it just God determines it? So therefore, what does it matter what I do? But Romans 10 is the, the flip side of that coin, so to speak. Romans 10 starts talking about man's responsibility. And so as Paul says, hey, you can't ascend to heaven, but Christ came to you. And you can't descend into the abyss, but God rose Christ from the dead. Now we get into this beautiful verse. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So we're preaching this word to you. It's right here. Look at verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now this is this is wonderful. So this is where Paul's going to it. He talks about human responsibility. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, this is not steps, so don't take it that way. Paul, remember, he, he's just been talking, quoting from Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, it talks about the heart, the mouth and the heart. And so he's just continuing on that, that, that same plane. It's not steps to salvation. Step one, confess. Step two, believe. Don't, don't do that. Uh, what Paul is speaking about is belief in Christ. Now, the word confess in Greek, uh, it, there, there's kind of two applications to it. The, the first application would be sin, like confess sin. And what the word means is to agree with God about your sin, okay? That, that I agree that my tongue is evil. I agree that I've been, what I've been submitting myself to is evil. I agree what, what I've been doing is evil. I'm agreeing with you, God, okay? So again, it's dependent upon God. It's saying, God, I recognize you're Lord. You're, you're Lord over me, and I agree with you, Okay? The other aspect of confess would be among believers. What do we confess among believers? Well, we agree with each other about the truth of God, okay? God, God sent his son to die for us, born of the virgin, right? When we say creeds, uh, the, the creeds of the church, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, uh, or even if we get into 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 15, where Paul says, I passed on to you what was first given to me, that Jesus Christ was crucified, that, that, that on the third day he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead. And so the Christian would confess this truth. They would agree together that this is all true, that Christ has done this. Does that make sense here? So when we speak about confession, we're talking about agreement. And so when we, when we confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, it's agreeing that Jesus is Lord. And, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, right? That, that's that putting that total faith and trust in Jesus Christ and not in the works of the law and not in being better. So how does this play out for the Christian? 
Well, if we've believed in God, if we've confessed him as our savior, now we walk in him. We live in him. We, we don't live by the law. Uh, we live in him. We live to please him. And, and, and it's just something we do because we love our God. So, so it should free you up from the burden of guilt because, you know, one thing I know about our human nature is as soon as we're told, don't do that, stay away from that, we're like, oh, I can't stop thinking about that. Oh, I just, I, I want to do that. I, oh, I, it's unbelievable how much I need to do that. And, and, and that's kind of just the part of the sin nature. But when we submit ourselves to Christ and we look to him for direction, we find ourselves totally free from the law. We get to say, Lord, I want to praise you today. I, I, Lord, I'm giving myself over to you today. When I go to work, Lord, I want to glorify you in, in what I'm doing. Lord, help me to be a, a great employee. Help me to have creativity. Help me to be a problem solver. I mean, think about that. God is God. He can solve all your problems at work for sure. Uh, and he can help you with that. Help me to be a witness among my coworkers. It's just walking in him. Now, you don't come home guilty saying, oh, Lord, I prayed this morning that I would share the gospel, and I chickened out, and now I'm guilty. I feel like I've really done something wrong. No, just rejoice in Christ. You live in freedom in Christ. Don't start living with these guilt versus positive, like, you know, where you're trying to keep this balanced scales. That's what the law was doing in our lives. Uh, no, we live under Christ in freedom. And so... So we see that it says, uh, i got to look at my time here, okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, so if you confess with your mouth G- that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That's something you can underline, circle. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's a beautiful promise from God. Uh, and it should give you great assurance that when you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you will not be put to shame. What does it mean to be put to shame? Well, it means to, to be judged. It means to have everything, all your sin exposed. It means to, to uh, suffer under that judgment and, and, and death uh, versus... Uh, not be put to shame is to be uh, have Christ be your covering. There's no nakedness. Shame and nakedness go hand in hand throughout the scriptures. Uh, and just the whole idea of nakedness is the, the idea of exposure, right, and shame. And so, so when we see that, that whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will not be put to shame, Christ is our covering. Christ is our clothing. Christ, um, you know, how, how, how well... Do we do with our righteous deeds? The Bible tells us that all your righteous works, uh, all your uh, righteous works are like filthy, right? Like uh, like scarlet uh, stains. Uh, they 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 won't they won't last. And we what we need is pure uh, pure clothes. So, verse twelve. Uh, so it says, for the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord uh, over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I want to make a little comment about that, that verse there, verse 13. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That, that's actually a quote from Joel. And in Joel, uh, obviously, there's the challenge to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation uh, and I just want to make a little note here because I, I think it's just an interesting thing, especially if uh, you've been impacted by those who tell you that Jesus Christ is not God, okay? Uh, here, as Paul quotes uh, first in ten nine that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, okay, the word Lord there in the Greek is a word called, uh, it's pronounced kurios, okay? And... Um, when you go down to verse 13, uh, the word Lord there is kurios. Okay, same word in the Greek. Uh, the difference is, is when we go back to Joel and we look at it in the Hebrew, the word is Jehovah or Yahweh, okay? 
uh, and it's, it's that, that name of God uh, for the Lord God. And so when people say, oh, no, no, Jesus is not God, he's less than God, here Paul is using that same word to describe the same person that Jesus is Lord. He's my, uh, he is the Lord of me and the God of me, as Thomas said when, when Jesus stood before Thomas and Thomas saw the holes in him and the resurrected Christ. He said, my Lord and my God, the Lord of me and the God of me. And so uh, I, I think that this is a powerful passage just as it shows the deity of Christ. Uh, and uh, that's really important for us. So that's a note for you who, who have ever dealt with that or maybe some um, Jehovah's Witnesses have showed up at your door and been talking to them. But I will say this about uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. They like to argue. And uh, I would challenge you, if you're going to take this new knowledge and be excited to go share it with them, just be ready because uh, I, I often just share the truth and uh, I'll pray with them. Uh, if they're willing, but when they start to want to argue and get heated, I'm like, okay, we're done. I'm not going to argue about this. Um, so, verse 14. How then shall they call in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom, uh, in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealous, to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Okay. Uh, now we're going back to Israel and this problem. And it's, it's so, uh, and we'll get more into this as we get into 11, but I want to hit a couple of things here as we finish out tonight. Yes, doing good. Uh, <laughs> just to see how much time I had. I'm doing well. I want to hit a couple more things uh, as we finish out here tonight. Because remember, chapter 9, we're asking a question about Israel. And in chapter 9, we, first of all, we learn that God is sovereign and that God has no obligation to anyone from whom he chooses and whom he doesn't, okay? And that was just a truth about God. Then we moved into 10 and we said that, no, actually, there is a culpability upon Israel, upon man. And he is responsible for his decision. And so that's where, as Paul is bringing about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Now, as soon as someone starts trying to explain how it all works, because we, we want to do that. We want to learn, well, God, how does salvation work? I, I want to understand this. Um, I think people get themselves in a lot of trouble here. Because ultimately, with every group, whoever you speak to, they're going to come to a point in their soteriology. That's just the the, the, the study of salvation, the doctrine of salvation, they're going to come to a point where they're going to say it's a mystery. That part is the mystery. And they all have mysteries. They just put them at different spots in, in their, their soteriology. And I would say just let the tension in Scripture be that we can see that God is sovereign and man is responsible. And uh, if you want to know how salvation works... All who call upon the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you want to know how salvation works, believe in Jesus because he paid the price for you. He did the work for you that uh, you no longer are responsible. And that is where I would say uh, I would caution people to leave it. I know it's real exciting to to get into these doctrinal arguments and things like that. But to me, they're really meaningless. Uh, anytime 
you get a bunch of seminary students around, they're going to go back and forth all day long about this stuff. And they'll never get anywhere. They never get anywhere. Um, so so uh, we might as well just put the glory to God where it belongs, praise him for the work that he did, and uh, begin to move forward. And that's exactly what Paul does. He moves forward with this idea of proclaiming the gospel. See what he says in verse 14? How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Okay, so that's a good, those are good questions. Can they believe if, no one's, if, if they don't know? Okay, so he goes on to say, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now I'm going to get, come back to verse 17. Let me talk about Isaiah here. I, this quote from Isaiah is from Isaiah 53 verse 1. And Isaiah 53 is a very unique passage. We don't have time to read it tonight. Uh, If you haven't ever read Isaiah 53, I want to encourage you, uh, go home and read Isaiah 53. It's one of the most incredible prophecies of the suffering servant Messiah, Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful prophecy. When you read Isaiah 53, uh, to, to me, Isaiah 53 is enough to prove Jesus is Messiah. Uh, and with Israel, it's very unique because uh, in the synagogues or, uh, or the temples today, when, when Jews go to, for uh, temple and they're doing their, their readings, they read up to I, the middle of Isaiah 52. Then when they come back the following Sunday, as they're going through the Torah read, or the, uh, the, the reading of the Old Testament, well, the Jewish Bible. Uh, then they pick up at Isaiah 54. Okay? And you go, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. In fact, actually, if you show a Jew Isaiah 53, they don't even like to sit down and read it with you. And that goes back to this tradition that they quit reading uh, Isaiah 53 in synagogues Because it caused arguments and great confusion. You know, because the arguments and the confusion are about an individual, a person. They they went as far as saying, no, it's about Israel as a whole. But you can't read it and say, you know, that's about a country, a people group. No, it's about a person. And and so they skip it all together. And that's why when, when Paul quotes this here, when he says, but they have not obeyed the gospel... Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This is important. They're choosing to reject the word of God in their lives. And I think that's where we all get into a lot of danger. When God speaks and we go, I don't want to hear. When we start rejecting the word of God, we, <laughs> we're rejecting him. We can't do it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know what else this is saying? It's saying that, that faith doesn't come by seeing miracles. You know, how many uh, have, have ever thought to themselves, boy, I wish my unsaved parent, my unsaved friend, my unsaved brother, my unsaved sister, my, whoever unsaved in my life that I love dearly, I wish they could just see a great miracle, then they would believe. That's not what Paul says. Paul says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is so powerful, dear friends. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce between between joint and marrow all the way into the heart of man. But you know what? There's human responsibility as well. And that responsibility can say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the word of God. I don't want to hear it. So as, as Paul speaks about those who preach, I want to uh, call your attention to back up to verse uh, 14 and 15. 
the word preach there or preacher is, uh, comes from the word caruso, which means to proclaim. So this isn't saying that faith only comes by hearing preachers in a pulpit. So you can't say, man, if I only got my unsaved friend to church, then the pastor could proclaim to them. No, 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 this is on you too. You can proclaim also. Uh, you have that, that ability to go forth proclaiming the word of God and, and letting people hear it. And it's important that we hear not only the messenger, but, but the message. And so coming back down to verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, that is essential. If you do not have the word of God, you cannot know what God has done, okay? And that's one of the things that our, you know, our church is highly involved in is getting the word of God out to those who can't read, those who who uh, spoken word ministry is all about that, bringing the word of God to people that can have access to it uh, because they're going to perish without it. We want them to have faith, be able to exercise faith in the word of God. So um, don't underestimate the power of the word of God. You know, I'm always amazed and, okay, I can do it. I'm always amazed, this is my last illustration, I'm always amazed as people sit in church and um, response to a message there's some who come into church and they're, you know, it's okay, I see you, but, and I, I, I don't judge you, okay, just so you guys know. I, like, I recognize that some days people just need rest, okay? You can have rest. Uh, but other people, they're, they're, they'll be like, oh, I heard nothing. And then other people come up and say, were you speaking directly at me? How did you, who told you about that? And, whoa, I don't know anything <laughs> Uh, and, and you just see that the word of God falls on hearts differently. And I really think that there's something to be said for those who come to, to, come to fellowship ready to, to hear and understand the word of God and have it be applied to their lives. Not to hear the word of God but go, uh, I don't really want to apply that part. I don't want to apply that part. But, but when we really bring ourselves to... to to, to the fellowship together, to Bible study, anything we're doing where we're approaching the word of God, really truly our prayer should be, Lord, I trust in you. You're the Lord of me and the God of me and here I am submitting myself to your word. Let God be true and every man a liar. I'll believe what you say. If there's a sin to forsake, it's gone. If there's, if there's a prohibition, I'll obey it. If there's a, an encouragement or something to do, I'll do it. And when we bring ourselves to, to, to God's word that way, you're going to see that the word of God does great things in your life and really is transformative. So lastly, uh, we're going to come back to the end here of uh, uh, chapter 10 as we jump into chapter 11 next week. But I want to end with this last thing. Uh, this passage is so important for each and every one to recognize that salvation comes by faith alone through Jesus Christ. Did you notice that, that uh, Paul writes here that it's not just for the Greek or, or, or the Jew? The same Lord is Lord over all. It, it, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is, this is salvation given to man. And, and Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. There is no other way. And, and so not only should we be concerned if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that you should call upon him today, but if you do know the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be ready to go and proclaim him and share him with others. And that's the final encouragement here from Romans chapter 10. We'll pick up in 11 next week and we'll kind of, we'll, we'll pull in those last verses from 10 in, uh, into 11 because they, they go hand in hand. Here's your homework for next week. Read chapter 11, uh, read 10, actually, go back, read 9, 10, 11 uh, as a whole argument because it all comes together. All right, with that said, let's go ahead and pray, huh? Lord God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for this wonderful word, Lord, that, that through your work on that cross, dear Jesus, you put an end to righteousness through the law. And we praise you for that, Lord God. Certainly, we want to please you in our actions. We want to submit our hands and our feet before you. But Lord, thank you that you did the work. You were able to accomplish what we could not. And so, Lord, we give you praise. And now, 
if you're in this room tonight, and as I was talking about coming to church with sin, now's an opportunity just to confess that to the Lord, to agree with him that it is sin, and to ask him for forgiveness. Lord, we thank you that if we confess our sin to you, you are faithful and just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. God, we thank you that you have paid the price for us. And we give you the praise. We thank you, Lord, that you have done the work. And now here we are submitting ourselves to you. Be the Lord of me and the God of me. We thank you, God, that you are faithful when we can't be. And we give you the praise. How wonderful a salvation that you provided for us. And so, Lord, like the tax collector, we humble ourselves before you and we call upon you for help. And, Lord, I know that there are some in this congregation tonight that need to be healed. Lord, they've been submitting themselves to sin. They've even been searing their conscience towards it. And so, Lord, we ask for you to heal right now. God, we ask that you would do surgery on the minds and hearts of your people. Lord, heal. We thank you, dear God. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God is so good. I want to encourage you this week. Maybe to pray for John and Tiffany Davidson who are there in Jerusalem. Uh, We're excited to be supporting missionaries there uh, because it truly is our desire that that the Jews, the people of God, would be received, would receive their Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you with that, that you might pray for the peace of Israel and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But until then, we are in the Christmas season, and what better time to declare the goodness of God, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those to whom he shows his favor. And you can go out and declare his goodness and his glory and his first advent, and you can proclaim that to others. So that's a charge for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may you walk in him this week and submit to him in all things. Amen.